0: chapter 14, as we're continuing our series with the book of Matthew, for a few more weeks at least. Um, if you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your order of worship. If you, don't have a, if you don't own a Bible and you'd like one, we have Bibles in the foyer, and you're welcome to take one. I encourage you to. But at this point in Matthew, uh, Jesus has been encountering several different responses to his ministry and his preaching. And uh, he's, he's encountered people who are flocking to him, you know, surrounding him, crowds following him. Um, and he's also encountered people who are very resistant to him, who are accusing him of things, who are making plans to try to destroy him and discredit him. And, uh, and then in the passage we just looked at last week where he fed... Uh, you know, over 15,000 people with uh, just a few loaves and some fish. At the end of that, we know from uh, the book of John, it says that the, the people, when they saw this incredible miracle, they tried to, like, take him by force and make him king. So um, there were all these different responses, but, but there was very, very few people, if any, who were actually really getting what he was really about and what he was really there to do um, and what he was really saying. And so we are come to this next passage where he reveals himself to his disciples after he sends them away first in a boat across the sea, and then he sends the people away that he's just fed. He reveals himself to his disciples in a way that is absolutely unique, that he hasn't revealed himself before, um, in order to try to make things a little more clear for them. And uh, so this is, this is what happens. Listen to God's word as I read from Matthew 14. We're going to read from verses 22 to 33. and said, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray that you'd help us now to see Jesus more clearly. And as we behold Jesus, that, that we would be changed, that our hearts would be filled and strengthened and that you would be glorified. We pray this all in Jesus' name, amen. Well, I, I'll let you into a little, you know, glimpse into our lives. Last Wednesday was rough. It was a real rough one for me. Um, so Kim and I have been coaching our kids' soccer team, uh, Adrian and Nano's soccer team. You know, they're, it's, uh, they're eight and nine years old. So, so they're playing rec soccer. This isn't travel soccer, just to give you a clear picture. This is rec soccer, eight and nine-year-olds. There's only one age level below them. So as, and when we're, as far as skill level goes, this is kind of as low as it can possibly get, okay? And yet, somehow, I tend to, like, assign so much meaning and value to each one of these games and uh we've been we've been really dominating all season we've been really you know doing well and as a result i've been feeling really good about myself because these eight nine-year-olds are dominating on the field i'm such a masterful coach and uh but this past Wednesday, we played the other, our kind of arch nemesis, our rivals in Wharton. There's another team in Wharton, and, and the coach is the same coach every last couple of years. And, and we've never been able to beat them. You know, he's, he's, We've tied them once. We've lost one by one goal, and they have some really good players on their team. And, and, but I'm, I'm like, I think we can do it this year. I think we can do it this year. And so uh, we go out there. On Wednesday night and the game starts and like within the first couple minutes they scored this kind of goal that like was really debatable whether the 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 ref kind of seemed to stop play but they scored anyways and so I was like oh man this, this is not going well and then within a few more minutes they scored two more goals and we were down by three already it was three nothing and by that time just like five minutes into the game already Adrian has lost heart. He's like completely given up. He's like, this is embarrassing, you know, and, and, uh, and he's kind of stopped playing, and I pull him off the field, you know, and I got to admit, I'd lost heart as well. I, uh, I pull him off the field, and I, I usually like stand on the edge of the field, like yelling encouragement to the kids, but I just had to go just sit down on the bench and just be like, oh, how, how, do, how do we fall this far, you know? This is, uh, how are we going to recover from this? It was, just, it, was, it was brutal. It was a real low point, you know. And, uh, but eventually Adrian kind of came back to himself and he went back on the field and tried really hard. And we ended up getting destroyed, you know. We, we just got humiliated. And so it was rough. It was really rough. And, and it was, I mean, the way that I can describe how I felt, I had lost heart, you know. I would just kind of given up. <laughs> and uh, this is kind of a silly example of what it means to lose heart. But uh, this is one of the things that Jesus commands his disciples right here in the middle of this passage. A lot of times when you're reading a passage, you know, when there's dialogue right in the middle, often that's kind of the thing that you're meant to like focus on. And, uh, and one of the things that Jesus says here in verse 27, and when he appears to the disciples, he says, take heart. He says, take heart. And, um, I thought about that, you know, what does it mean to take heart? You know, the Bible often talks about, you know, taking heart or losing heart, and I looked around at some other verses, and, and you know, when it's talking about losing heart, it's often you're facing these really um, kind of overwhelming circumstances, these circumstances that, that tempt you to want to just give up, um, and to not continue on, to not trying anymore, to just lose hope, really. And uh, yeah, that was me in a, in a silly way on Wednesday night at our soccer game. But, uh, but I think we are all facing circumstances at different times in our lives when we are tempted to lose heart, when we're faced with you know, just being in danger of losing heart, of giving up. And um, you know, for some of us, it might be because we feel absolutely alone incredibly lonely we have like there's nobody else that's that's with us that's supporting us that uh or or, or it's it's a situation that we're dealing with in our family um somebody is facing something that is really just hard maybe it's our kid is facing something that's hard and and we haven't been able to figure out how to help them and we've tried really hard and we've tried for really long and, and it's just like I don't, I don't think there's any solution how are we going to deal with do this and, and we're tempted to lose heart because of that Or we experience physical pain. You know, a lot of times, physical pain, um, even if it's not a long time, but over a course of a long period of time, can make us be like, I just don't, I I don't know how I can go on. Um, Or, you know, just the weariness of facing just daily challenges that wear us down. And, And I think all of us are often in danger of, of kind of coming to this place where we lose heart. <laughs> um, and in the midst of that, Jesus tells us, and he tells his disciples, here, take heart. Um, when he appears to his disciples, what are they doing? They're rowing in a boat in the sea, and they're in the midst of a storm. Um, they're, fa- they're, they're fighting against wind and waves, and they're not making much progress. And so I think one of the reasons, I mean, of course, Jesus showing up and scaring them was causing them to maybe lose heart. But also, I think a big reason was just the, the, the fact that they had been rowing all night and not making much progress. This was a storm, a serious storm that they were dealing with. And, and so in the midst of that, Jesus says, take heart, take heart. And, and Jesus' solution for them is what? When he says, take heart, what does he say? He says, it's me. He shows up. He he. He shows himself to them. That is the solution for us in the midst of scenarios where we might be in danger of losing heart. The solution for us is to see Jesus. It's to see Jesus. And and Jesus shows up and he shows some things to the disciples about himself that help them, hopefully, to take heart. So what does he show them? What does he show us? And I think the first thing that is important for us to see, that this whole passage, I think, is meant for us to see, is that Jesus is God. That's what he wants to show them. He is God. I mean, number one, what is he doing? He's walking on water. Who else does that? Who else does that? Who else has ever done that? This is something that people don't do, right? He shows up in the midst of a storm. There's, there's serious waves and wind, and he's just walking on the water. And so just that, that, that simple fact should give us a clue that Jesus is not like them, and he's not like us, okay? But then as you think about it, um, as I said, these, these guys have been, um, we don't know exactly how long they've been out on the sea, but Jesus sends them out on the sea after dinner the night before, And so Jesus appears to them when? In the fourth watch. And uh, in in those times, the fourth watch is talking about between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. So they have been out on the sea for hours and hours and hours. They should not have been out on the sea for that long. It did not take near that long to cross the sea. They were out there for a long time because this storm was serious, it was harsh. And they weren't making any progress. And yet, in the midst of that storm, you have these seasoned fishermen, and, and it doesn't talk about them being like scared or terrified from the storm. What is the thing that terrifies them? When Jesus shows up. That's when they're terrified. When they see Jesus, it says they saw him walking on the sea, and they were terrified. They were terrified, and their first thought, it's a ghost! When they see Jesus walking on the water, again, this is not something normal people do. So they immediately assume that this is something supernatural. This is something outside of the realm of, of of the ordinary world, and so it must be a ghost. They rightly assume that this is something supernatural because he is God himself. And the thing that terrifies them is seeing him. Seeing Jesus terrifies them. He is utterly unique, utterly terrifying as he appears to them. And in the end, they respond to him appropriately. In in verse 33, it says, Those in the boat worshiped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. Um, Jesus is God. That's what Matthew is trying to say here. He does things that other people can't do, and he's treated as he should be. He is worshiped. He is worshiped. The disciples confess truly you are the son of god and if that's not enough for you um in the middle of this passage right when jesus that that line that jesus says take heart it is i in the greek when he says it is i it's it's a normal expression for saying it is i but but the literal words in the greek actually say i am that's what people used to say back then you know if, if to, to, to say oh it's me you would say i am But a a Jewish person reading this, when they read this and and they hear Jesus say, take heart, they read, Jesus says, take heart, I am. Don't be afraid. It's not a huge leap to think about the fact that a Jewish person would, you know, be reminded of what we just read earlier in the service, if you guys are paying attention. Remember when God introduces himself to Moses at the burning bush? And Moses says, who should I say sent me? And God says, tell them, I am sent you. I am. And so Jesus is walking in the middle of the storm and he says, I am. Here I am. I am. God is here. And even though they thought he was a ghost, that's how they should have responded. They should have been terrified because that's how big and strong and powerful and terrifying that God is. You realize if Jesus showed up Physically here this morning, we would very likely have a lot of emotions, but one of them would be terror. We would be terrified because he is unlike anything we have ever seen or experienced. He is absolutely, absolutely unique. He is terrifying in his power, in his glory. We would be terrified. And so our primary response as we think about who Jesus is, as he reveals himself to us, our primary response to him has to be one of worship. That is to be the the, the thing that we should do in response to Jesus, is worship him, is bow down before him, is surrender to him, submit to him. Confess that we are not him. He is absolutely holy, absolutely unique. He is great, and we are not in and of ourselves worthy to be in his presence. He is God. How does this help us when it comes to losing heart? How does worshiping Jesus help us when it comes to losing heart? Well, I think one of the reasons that that we are in danger of losing heart is because we are often preoccupied with ourselves. We're preoccupied with our trouble, with our pain, with our problems. And what does worship do? Worship takes our eyes off of ourselves and moves us, nudges us a little bit more towards being preoccupied with Him, the one we should be preoccupied with. When we are more preoccupied with Him than we are with ourselves, it's, it, it becomes harder to lose heart <laughs> because we're not just consumed with our own issues and pain and problems. And also, it helps us to see someone who is so big and powerful. It puts our issues into perspective, right? And so this is, this is the response we should be cultivating in our lives to Jesus, worship. This is why this, what we do on Sunday mornings, is so crucial. It, it gives us an opportunity to practice worshiping him, to encourage one another to worship him. And and, and it's so important as as we live our lives on a daily basis to learn how to worship him in the the great times, but also in the difficult times. That is the thing that we need to do. Worshiping Jesus, beholding Jesus. That's what worship is. Beholding Jesus in all that he is. That is what will truly satisfy our hearts. We were saying before, satisfy us with your love. And so I think that this is the thing he wants us to see here, above all other things. He is God. Worship him. But as Jesus interacts with Peter, he shows us also something else about him. And he shows us that he is gracious. He shows us his graciousness. Jesus is constantly showing his grace to his disciples as you read through the Gospels. He's constantly showing grace to them. He's constantly showing them kindness and love when they don't deserve it. When they deserve the opposite, he's he's giving them all sorts of gifts of of kindness and love and compassion. And and he does it here as well. His graciousness in in this passage, I think, shows itself in patience, the way he's he's patient, and also the way he displays his power. So we see his his grace in his patience and the way he displays his power. Um, So first of all, think about this. Jesus shows up in the midst of the storm and he's walking on the water. All the disciples are terrified and then Jesus announces, it's me, and then Peter does his usual Peter thing, right? He's, he's always just so rash, and he's quick to say stuff without thinking about it, quick to just, you know, do stuff, doesn't, doesn't think a whole lot. And, and immediately Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So I, I see a couple different problems with his... his what he says, you know, if it is you, first he's, he's looking at Jesus standing in the storm and he's like, if, well, I know you say it's you, Jesus, but if it's you, then he, he demands, he, makes, he commands Jesus to command him, right? If it's you, he wants Jesus to prove himself, you know, command me to walk out to you. And, uh, you know, a lot of times you read this passage you're like, wow, Peter is amazing. He such this amazing faith that he's willing to step out of the boat and on the water. And that, that's all true, I think. But I also, if I'm Jesus, I'm like, Peter, just relax. Stay in the boat. Why? Why do you have to get out of the boat? Can't you see this is my moment, Peter? I'm the one walking on the water. You know, like if, if that's me, I'm like, it's it's the way like, I could deal with a lot of my kids a lot of times. Like, you don't just relax. I'm I'm doing something here. I'm doing something here. And yet Jesus doesn't do that at all. He totally just gives in to Peter's demand. And he says, Come. All right, Peter. <laughs> he, he, he takes Peter just as he is, right? He loves Peter just as he is. You know? Whether he was, you know, demanding something right or wrong, I'm not totally sure, but Jesus just takes him as he is and he loves him. And he's patient with him. And he says, go ahead, come on. And, and not only that, as I said, he, he shows his grace in the way that he displays his power. He, he, lets, he shares his power with Peter. He gives Peter this incredible privilege of walking on the water, you know, As I said before, this is something that normal people don't do. And Jesus is like, Jesus could have been like, no, Peter, this is something that God does. I walk on water, not you. But no, he lets Peter come out and he enables Peter to walk on the water. He shares his power. He's not stingy with his power. Even though Peter asked this outlandish thing. And I mean as I think about my own life, like, why don't I ask more outlandish things of him? (laughs) Why don't I? He, as far as I can tell, is eager to share his power with me, to transform the lives of the people around me, to transform my own life, to heal people who are hurting and broken to awaken people who are sleeping and deaf. Why don't I ask more outlandish things of him? Because he's eager in his grace to share his power with me and to display it. You know? And maybe it's because I don't think I'm worthy, but I got to remind myself how patient he is in his grace, that he loves me just as I am. Right? Right? No matter how much, you know, my, my particular personality, the things that other people might not like about me or criticize about me, Jesus, Jesus accepts me just as I am, you know? Think about that. He loves you. He's patient with you. And your, you know, extreme uh, shyness or your talkativeness or with your ADHD, you know? No matter what it is, Jesus loves you just as you are. and he is eager to share his power with you, that you might experience it, that others might experience it through you. Um, I think we need to ask him for more miracles. We need to ask him for more miracles. We need to ask him to walk on water. And so he shows us that he is gracious. He shows that he is God. And last thing I see about him here is he shows us his grip. He shows us his grip. I, I've, I've read this passage many times. I've heard a lot of people talk about this passage, teach on this passage. I've done Bible studies on this passage many, many times. And, and 99% of the time that people teach on this passage, it's, it's usually about Peter. It's usually about, you know, how can I be more like Peter? How, I, what I need to do, you see, Peter walks on the water as he goes to Jesus, but then when he takes his eyes off Jesus and he looks at the wind, he starts to sink. I need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, just, you know, like Peter needed to, or I'm going to sink. And I think that those, are, those are helpful for us to, to hear from this passage, that I need to keep my eyes fixed on Jesus. That's where I'm going to be safe. That's where I'm going to be able to function and, and live a life that he calls me to live. But ultimately, I... I was confronted even as I was studying this passage this, this last week and then I was reading some commentaries. And, and um, ultimately, I think this passage, is not, it's not about Peter. This passage, like the rest of the Bible, it's not about Peter. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's not about Peter, whether he's like looking at Jesus enough or not. It's about the fact that as Peter fails to keep his eyes on Jesus, Jesus never fails to keep his eyes on Peter. Jesus never looks away from Peter. And as a result, when Peter starts to sink, Jesus is there immediately to grab him and hold him in a grip that is as strong as iron. Right? That is what this is about. That is about it's not about, you know, I need to be I need to have a strong enough faith that I keep. To keep it fixed on Jesus at all times so I'm going to be okay. No, it's about the fact that Jesus is so faithful and strong and committed to me that even when I fail, because I will, he won't look away. His eyes will always be on me to hold me, to take care of me, to keep me safe. And so that is why we can take heart. When we are facing things that we don't know how we're gonna get through them, we can take heart because we know that Jesus will never look away, that Jesus will hold on to me. If I have trusted in him, I never have to fear that, he's gonna, that, that his grip is gonna slip. I never have to fear that he's gonna look away whether you are attempting something incredibly difficult and you fall flat on your face, Jesus will hold on to you. Whether you're facing complete uncertainty in your life and you don't know, and and you're feeling very off balance because you don't know what tomorrow is going to look like or this coming year is going to look like and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this coming month or year, Jesus will not look away and he will hold on to you when you are facing suffering, you're in the midst of suffering. When you love somebody who is suffering, you do not have to question whether Jesus is going to be there or not. He will not look away and he will hold on to you. You can count on it. And so, we're gonna sing a song at the end of the service today after communion called, He Will Hold Me Fast. And that is absolutely one of my favorite songs to sing together as a church, because that's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. And, and I think that's very much what this passage is about. He will hold me fast. Let me just read the lyrics to you guys, okay? In case you, your mind is drifting when we sing it later. It says this, When I fear my faith will fail. Christ will hold me fast. When the tempter would prevail, he will hold me fast. I could never keep my hold through life's fearful path, for my love is often cold. He must hold me fast. Those he saves are his delight. Christ will hold me fast. Precious in his holy sight, he will hold me fast. He'll not let my soul be lost his promises shall last. Bought by him at such a cost, he will hold me fast. For my life, he bled and died. Christ will hold me fast. Justice has been satisfied. He will hold me fast. Raised with him to endless life, he will hold me fast. Till our faith